Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Father, thank you so much for the Word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit in this place. Speak to us, minister to us. Help me to speak as of the oracles of God and minister with the ability which God supplies and get this message to the people. I pray that many, many lives would be touched and changed by the seeds that are sown today. And we'll give you all the praise and glory and honor for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. And so I've been creating a lot of material over the last five years. And it started with a series that I called uh, Answering the Call. And it was really for ministers for those that want to go into the ministry. And I I was working on it, and it cost me a lot because I did it in two parts. And I videoed, uh, I made a DVD series out of part two, and it cost me a lot of money to produce it. This was five years ago. And I began to ask the Lord, why do I feel so compelled to do this? Why am I spending all this money and time creating? I only need a couple series. Well, you saw what it was like. I What did I do, two series and a book? I don't have time to promote that any more than that when I travel to churches. So I don't really need but two series a year. And that's what I used to produce for years. And I said, Lord, why is this important? I'm literally making things that nobody even knows about, nobody's buying, and I'm making more and more. And he spoke to me very clearly, and he said, the people are coming. The people are coming. And when they come, you need to have material for them. And that was five years ago, and we have done nothing but create material ever since. And it's like an arsenal. I feel like I'm building an arsenal. So I've done 25 audio series, 580 video programs, which are all in series format, outlined on YouTube, and, and a lot of it's available through my website. And we've got podcasts out there. And so we've, we've developed all of these things for the people because the people are coming. And I realized as I um, was kind of coming to the end, because I feel like we're just about where we need to be. I don't have anything left to create except books that we're doing. I'm working on my sixth book right now. I never thought I'd write one book. And so it's a tremendous amount of work. But I realized I have this mountain of material now for Christians, maybe new Christians, but Christians, people that are saved and they need to grow. They need to know more about God. And I realized I don't have anything for non-Christians, nothing. So I prayed about it. And over a 24-hour period, the Lord gave me the message, my message for non-Christians. And I Went, up, went to my media room, and I taught it out. We converted it into print, and I spent a lot of time writing it, more time really on this book than any, I mean, per, per word, because I wanted to say it as, as clearly as I possibly could. And I'm going to teach that to you today. And I, I wanted to preface it because I'm going to preach to the choir. I'm going to talk to you about salvation, Amen. and I don't want you to be offended. I want you to realize, you know, that we we have so much information, but for the non-believer, all they need to know is how to be saved. <laughs> they don't need all that other stuff unless they're going to accept that. And, and so it's important when the people come to be ready for them 
at whatever level they're on. That's why I did the Holy Spirit series. I, I thought when the people come, I want to be able to give them something. I may not have time to do a series on the Holy Spirit, but I can have material and they can receive the same Holy Spirit that we've received. Isn't that exciting? I truly believe that we're going to introduce a new generation to the things that have changed our lives, a generation that hasn't been listening to us, but I believe God's going to give us their ear in our lifetime, and they're going to want what, what we have. Isn't that exciting? So I, 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 I created this, this message, and I called it Prepare to Meet Your Maker. Prepare to Meet Your Maker. Are you ready for eternity? And we put it into a mini book. So these are also out there. Um, these are five dollars if you if you want to get one of those. And we barely make anything on that, but it, but it's it's just I want to get those out, and uh, because you're going to see what's in it. And I tried to take a modern day approach to the message of salvation, and I think you're going to be interested in it uh, in how we did it. But it's written for Christians and non-believers alike. It's a modern day plea for salvation and a roadmap to obtain it. If you're not ready to meet God or you know someone who isn't, this book is for you. How's that? So I'm going to read some of this because I took so much time to write it, and, and uh, it, it, it's better than if I say it, I'll just butcher it. <laughs> you know? When I was young and I started preaching, I started recording my stuff, and, and I just started traveling. And I took a, a, a message home to edit it, cassette. If you don't know what cassette is, Google it. <laughs> it was a thing. So I took it home to, to, I was just living in an apartment. I was single and I was started out preaching. I was going to edit it and I listened to the message and I got so depressed. I just threw it away. And I went to prayer. I mean, deep prayer. I said, God, please let me go to college. Let, let me, I don't even know how to speak. Please, just, just, I could have gone to college. I was going to go to college, and then he sent me to Bible school. I said, I'm still young. I, I live in Tulsa. I can go to ORU and get really educated. And, uh, and, and the Lord spoke to me, and he, he said, he gave me this scripture in Acts where it says, when they heard Peter and John, and they realized they were ignorant and unlearned men, <laughs> They took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus. And I mean, yeah, it's good for you to know that for me, but how do you think that made me feel? I'm the ignorant and unlearned. And so, and so I got that scripture. It said, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they realized they were ignorant and unlearned. And the Lord said, I don't want you to go to college. Now he said, I may send other people to college and I can get glory out of them going and I can get glory out of you not going. So, so I never thought I would ever write a book, um, but, but um, it, even in my, at my level, if I can focus on it and work on it, it can sound better than if I just do it verbally. I can see you don't necessarily agree with that, but <laughs> believe me, it's true. <laughs> so let's get into this. I want to give you the introduction. I'm going to give you four truths to prepare someone, anyone, to meet God. Many people spend years preparing for retirement. 
They work most of their life, and most people spend less time in retirement than they do actually preparing for retirement. There are people who think ahead and they pre-plan their funeral. They prepare it all and plan it all out, pay for it so that nobody else has to worry about that. There are people who, who buy house insurance, life insurance. They set up a will so that all of their possessions can be peacefully transferred to their heirs. They think ahead. And it's good business. And it's being thoughtful and responsible. But these same people, many of them, don't spend one minute preparing for life after death. They, sp they don't spend one minute preparing for eternity. And can I say that that is irresponsible? Let me, so I, I wrote this as if I was talking to a non-believer, even somebody who didn't believe in God. And I said this, you may not believe in God and you may not think it's necessary to prepare for life after death. But what if you're wrong? What if there is a God? What if there is an eternal destiny awaiting you? What if the universe didn't happen accidentally and there was a master designer behind the creation of the world? If there's even a chance that there's a God, would you want to enter into eternity never having acknowledged him or having thanked him for the gift of life? Isn't that amazing, an amazing thought? You know, the, <laughs> everyone who owns a car buys car insurance, not because they're definitely going to have a wreck, but because they might. And most people spend much more on car insurance over their life than they ever receive in claims. But they do it because it's the right thing to do. It's responsible and it's the law. <laughs> people buy homeowner's insurance and most of us don't live in a hurricane zone. So we buy fire insurance and, and, and catastrophic insurance. And most of us will never, ever turn in a claim. But we spend thousands and thousands of dollars over the course of our lives preparing for something that probably won't happen. And my next question would be, do you want to be guilty of taking better care of your home and your car than your soul? Isn't that a powerful thought? People think they're so responsible and they're so dedicated to being, you know, a good business person and thinking ahead. But why would they leave eternity up to chance? It's, it's forever. The universe appears to be the result of an intelligent creator. If this is true, you and I owe him our very lives. If there's even the slight possibility we could experience a fire or flood, we're willing to pay insurance for decades. By the same token, if there's even the slightest possibility there's a God who created you, don't you want to be ready to meet him? I'd like to share four Bible truths to prepare you for the most important moment of your life, the moment when you meet your maker. Isn't that a great introduction? I, I have a boat, and you probably heard me say this, but it's it's been a real education for me. 
And um, I have friends at the lake that don't go to church. And I found out a couple of years ago that I have a friend at the lake that doesn't even believe there's a God. He's an atheist. He's a lawyer. He's an intellectual. And it's been very interesting for me, the preacher, because when you go to the lake and you preach, you're the preacher. Everybody knows it, and everybody has their own opinion of what that means. But I've had some interesting conversations with these people, and I wrote this book, and I presented this message as if I was talking to my friend. If I could say whatever I want to say to him, it would be right in this book. And one day, I, I believe I'll be able to give him one of these books, and, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. Now, they don't have to accept the message, but what I'm trying to do is present the gospel to our generation. And I've, I've taken some terms out on purpose because things have changed. People think differently. You and I think of people who aren't Christians as sinners, and, and that's fine because they are. We think of them as lost, the unsaved. You know how offensive those terms are to people? <laughs> do you, I mean, think about it. So I have approached it from this standpoint, not that I don't believe in conviction and telling the truth. Certainly, we're sinners, but I'm going to call them non-believers. I think even they could agree with that. Non-believers. And, and, uh, and so as we, as we present the gospel to them, it's in a way that, that wouldn't maybe have worked a hundred years ago, but the way the gospel was presented a hundred years ago probably won't work the same way today. But the Holy Spirit is the same. And so the four points, and I'm just going to give them to you and then we'll cover them briefly each one. The four points are, are these. Number one, you will meet God. So from this point on, there's no more um, philosophy or arguing or questions or, or suppositions. Now I'm talking to their heart. And from this point on, the four points that we present them in a way where we expect their heart to know that these things are true. So instead of now trying to prove there is a God, I'm just going to get to the point. You're going to meet God. You may not believe in God, and that's fine, but you're going to meet him. And so we become more bold and more sure in what we say because we don't, we're not saying what we think here. We know these things to be true. So, so hopefully the responsibility thing intellectually was interesting, and they're thinking maybe more about eternal things, but let's just get to the point now. Number one, you will meet God. Number two, all have sinned. Now, that's a little variation, but it's absolutely true. There's no compromise. But rather than saying, you have sinned, we say, all have sinned. Because we're all in the same boat. If you don't do this, and we'll get into it a little bit, if you don't do it, people start to put themselves in different classes of sinners. And they're always better than a lot of others. Which means absolutely nothing when you stand before God. Nothing. <laughs> Like, like a friend of mine said, I don't want to be the best, the nicest sinner in hell <laughs> or the nicest person in hell. I don't really care to have that title. So, so, so if you don't, if you, 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 you have to make it universal. I'm not picking on you. 
everybody's sinned and here's why everybody's in sin. And so we make that point. Point number three, Christ died for your sins. Now we can get personal. Christ died for your sins. The fact that he died for the sins of the world is true. But until you believe he died for your sins, it doesn't affect you individually. So Christ died for your sins. And number three, uh, four, you must be born again. I love those four points. In fact, I will teach salvation from those four points for the rest of my life. Never heard it that way exactly before. It's not the Roman road to salvation. But for me, it's a modern day approach to present the gospel to a, a very thin-skinned, offendable culture, which is odd because they're so offensive. Isn't it a, isn't it a weird time? They are the most offensive generation I've ever seen. Every freak of nature has come out of the closet, and they don't even care. But they want Pentecostal Christians, you stay in the closet. You're offensive. Really, I wasn't aware of that. But that's, rather than be angry, let's try to meet them some, at some level and get the truth to them. But it is a weird time. You must be born again. Let me go over the four points again so you have them. Number one, you will meet God. Number two, all have sinned, which is why you're not ready to meet God. Number three, Christ Jesus died for your sin. Number four, you must be born again. Number one, you'll meet God. They say only two things are sure, death and taxes. Some people aren't going to die. They'll be raptured, and other people are tax-exempt. But let me tell you something <laughs> that is more sure than death and taxes. You're going to meet God. That appointment will be kept. And we need to let the world know about that because it's coming. Whether you're young or old or rich or poor, or successful or unsuccessful, whether you were born in America or the East, the North, the South, it makes no difference. Every person is going to stand before God. Every human being. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed for men to die once. After this, the judgment. You don't come back in another form. You don't evolve into a better species. You don't. You don't haunt a house or come back as a ghost. You don't go to purgatory. You die and you meet God. Now, I know there's different time frames, the great white throne, and I'm not going to get into eschatology. I'm just going to tell you, sooner or later, every human being is going to stand before God Almighty. And here's what the Bible says. Revelation 20, 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works 
by the things which were written in the books. Wow. Verse 13 says, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. That is a frightening prospect, isn't it? To stand before God with nothing to show for yourself but your own thoughts, your own words, and your own actions while you lived on the earth. And God doesn't, he doesn't forget anything in that instance. Nothing. Revelation 20.15 says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Isn't that powerful? Nobody talks about that, but that's happening. That's reality. Thank God there's another book, and it's called the book of life. And did you know God doesn't decide whose name is written in the book of life? It's each of our responsibility to, to make sure that our name is in the book of life. This is the most important task of anyone in the world. You know, uh, it's our responsibility as created beings to search and look for our origin. Why are we here? Philosophers do it. They never come to a conclusion, but they at least search, act like they're searching. But it's everyone's responsibility to do that because, because there are two things that you can't deny, and we put this in the book. Two things that no one can deny. Number one, you're here. You exist. And you didn't put yourself here. And you live in a world that sustains life, and you didn't have anything to do with it. You can't deny that. So you have to ask yourself, why am I here? Number two, every person has a desire, and this is when you have to talk to the heart because people have covered it over and, and deflected and ignored it, but every person has a desire uh, to, to, to know their creator, yeah. a void that, that, that only God can fill, a hunger that only God can satisfy, and they must, instead of ignoring this, re, you know, directing it, they, 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 they must allow that motivation to cause them to search for God. And just talking about these things, these are universal human truths. And, and uh, if you, you know, if a person would sit down and read the book, that's why the book's so important because it's non-confrontational. It's not me standing there. They read it and they look at it and they can think about what it's saying. But that hunger's there. We just want to uncover it. We want to stir it. We want to uh, feed the flame. Are you with me? Amen. You're here. You didn't put yourself here. And, and if there is a God... If all of this didn't happen accidentally for no reason, out of nowhere, and how big of how big does your faith have to be to believe that? Yeah. You know, people think we're crazy because we believe that in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. They go, wow, you Christians. Yeah, y you atheists, you have more faith than I do. Yeah. You're going to sit there and tell me that all of this happened for no reason? Yeah. How? Where? 
Yo, well, there was a big bang. Yeah, I've had a few big bangs in my life. There's never a universe came out of it or anything positive. Usually big bangs mess things up. You ever seen anything like this come for no reason out of nothing, nowhere? And, and I'm the one that's, that's believing in fairy tales? So, so because they, they have this hunger to know where they came from, and rather than cover it, we should encourage them to follow it because that will lead them to God, and I'll prove it to you. That desire to know the truth, that desire to, to, to find out why am I here will, will lead a person to God. Listen to this paragraph. Maybe you feel that if there is a God, he's impossible to find. Maybe you think God is hidden from you or he, if he does exist, you wonder if he even cares about you. God may be hidden, but he's not hidden from you. He's hidden for you. God has hidden himself so that he can be found by those who want to know him. He doesn't push himself on anyone. He doesn't intrude into people's lives without an invitation, even though he has every right to do so. He's not a hard taskmaster. He's eager, eager to reveal himself to those who are hungry to know him and to experience his love. Is that not true? Absolutely true. So we're, what we're trying to do is take every objection people have. If there is a God, he must not care. If there is a God, he must be angry at me. He, he wants to do me harm. We want to remove those. God reveals the way to himself. This is another good one point. God reveals the way to himself through his word. Now, this is important even to non-believers. Why? Because they're, they're feeling they got a chip on their shoulder that if there's a God, he sure has made this hard. No, he's left a pathway, a trail, and it may not be your preferred way, but man, is it the best way. He left his word. So you can't see God. No, you can't feel God. No, you can't see where he lives, but you can see his word. And in his word are directions to find him, to know him. And you can see his word and you can read his word. And thank God it's not just emotion that leads us to God or, or, or clues in nature, but we've got his word. You know, you can't change his word. He preserved it. He sent it to us just the way it is. You don't have to ask somebody, what did God say? What does God want? We've got his word. It didn't come through another, you know, second or third or fourth generation. It's his word and his word leads us to him. You want a clue? It's in the word. You want proof? It's the word of God. You want evidence? You want to feel something and touch something? Get a Bible. This is the way God has left. And it's good. It's good enough. It's enough. His word is all the direction we need, and it has worked for millions and millions of people, and it'll work for you. Are you with me so far? Now, this is something that I really discovered while I was doing this, this teaching, and, and it's so powerful. This is a universal truth, Jeremiah 29, 11. 
I know the thoughts that I think toward you. You think God's mad at you? You think God is angry with the world? You think if God is a good God, then why is all this evil happened? And why doesn't he do something about it? Let me tell you what God thinks about you. I know the thoughts I think, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's all positive. Some people may choose not to look for God because they think if there is a God, surely he must be angry with them. They think that God is out to get them or punish them or give them what they deserve. But the thoughts that God thinks toward you are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and hope. Now, this is the universal truth. Verse 12 and 13. I don't know if you've read on beyond uh, verse 11, but notice what it says. The key to finding God is revealed right here. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's it. That's it. I guarantee you those people haven't done this. The people who haven't found God haven't done this. How do you know? Because the word's true. So, so all we're trying to get people to do is say, trust that there is a God and seek him with all your heart and you'll find him. And you haven't done that, have you, Mr. Atheist? No, you haven't. You haven't done that, Mr. Agnostic, have you? No. Why? Because if they had of... They would have found him. I did it. Man, I had very little information. I grew up in a denominational church, and when you went forward in that church, they just shook your hand. <laughs> they didn't know what else to do with you. They shake your hand, and there you go. <laughs> they didn't know how to get anybody saved. I didn't know what the gospel was, but I wanted to go to heaven, and I wanted to know God. And you know, that's all it took. Because the universal principle is when you seek God with all your heart, you're going to find God. He's not hidden from you. He's hidden for you. And God is such a big God, such a caring God that he's chosen not to dominate everyone's life and force people to do what they're really obligated to do and they ought to do, but they won't do it unless they choose to do it. God has chosen to, to, to reveal himself to humanity that way. Otherwise, we'd all be dominated by God and we'd be his slaves. He didn't want that. He wants to give every person one life to live, no strings attached. You could do whatever you want with your life, and God himself's not going to stop you. But it's not fair then, since you have all that freedom to turn around and blame God for not caring. He cared so much that he wanted to give you freedom to make your own choice. So you can't have it both ways. My uncle uh, told me a story that was shocking. He was at the community swimming pool, the neighborhood pool, and there was a lifeguard there. And this kid jumps in and he starts drowning. He didn't come up. The lifeguard was frantic. She, she was just there to get son. <laughs> she didn't know what to do. My uncle jumps in and he pulls the kid out and starts pumping him and, you know, rolling him around and pushing on him and... He uh, was dead. I mean, he was not responsive. And finally, all this water comes out, and the kid takes a big gulp of air, and and uh, his family's all around. Nobody knows what to do, and 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 he comes back to life. <laughs> My uncle said it was the strangest experience 
they, the, the parents, the kid, they all just got up and left. Lifeguard went back and sat down and nobody said a word. He said, I went there the next day and they didn't even talk to me. He couldn't understand it. And I thought, you know, there are some things that are just so valuable. You don't want to admit to it. Because, I mean, what do you owe a guy? <laughs> what do you owe somebody who just saved your life? You would be at a funeral today if it wasn't for what he did. How do you admit to that? Because he might go, well, you know, I would like a few things in exchange. When a person admits there's a God, they're in over their head. They'd rather just not go there. Because if you admit there's a God, then you owe him everything. And if you're not for sure what he wants, and if he'll leave you alone, you'd rather just ignore that option and figure it out on your own. But the responsible thing to do is to say, I can't be here accidentally. There's a reason for life. And I need to find out who did this and at least thank him. My uncle didn't want payment, but I mean, when you do something heroic, you like a little credit, you know, like, see that guy, he saved my life. I mean, just, just, just an acknowledgement. And that's what God, God wants us to be grateful. And he doesn't demand anything from us that we don't want to give or that we wouldn't give. He wants us to give back to him freely from our heart. And, and people have this misunderstanding and it keeps them from thinking about that option. And that's our job. We're the conscience of the nation. We need to bring people to that point because one of these days they're going to die and they're going to be standing before God. And at least they need to be warned. Yeah. It's not hellfire and brimstone. It's you're going to stand before the God who is responsible for your existence. Do you want to have that appointment never having said, God, if you're up there, thank you, or ever? How rude is that? We don't have to see him with our eyes. We don't have to touch him with our hands or feel him with our emotions. We who have found God know there's a God because we have a relationship with him on a spiritual level, spirit to spirit. But the key to finding him is to know that he's not going to find you. You have to find him, and you can find him when you seek him with all your heart. Again, he's not hidden from you. He's hidden for you. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And lest we have someone disqualify themselves and say, you know, I just can't do that. Yes, you can. Of course you can. Because if you don't believe that there's a God, then you believe in evolution or whatever else you've decided to put in that gap. And that's crazier than believing in God. I mean, I, I admit that saying in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth leaves some questions. 
but not nearly as many questions as everything happened accidentally for no reason. There's a lot of unanswered questions in that scenario. Amen. So everyone can do this. Everybody can believe there's a God. God wouldn't set the bar so high that some couldn't do it. In fact, that's why faith is such a central part to the kingdom of God. We relate to God, find God, get saved, receive from God by faith on purpose because it's something everyone can do. There's nobody that that is incapable of believing. Nobody. Think about it. You tell your kids about Santa, they believe in Santa. So your kids about the Easter Bunny, they believe in Easter Bunny. Why? Because we can do this. We can believe. And so you have to understand that people who say they're atheists and act like they can't believe unless they can prove it are lying. Now, we wouldn't say that to them, but that's true. Because what they are believing can't be proven either. And it's a bigger lie than to believe that, that there's a God or Santa. You, you see what I mean? And, and so we, we need to know that going in and realize this is something everybody can do. I, I, uh, I don't know if I've told this here before, but I was uh, shopping for a house several years ago in Tulsa, and I found one on Zillow, and I went out just by myself, and I'm walking around, and the neighbor guy comes out and catches me, and, and uh, he was very friendly, and I think he was just wanting to see who might be his new neighbor, you know, and so he was screening me while we were going along and one of the first things he asked is what do you do and I said I'm a preacher and he goes oh I couldn't tell by the tone if that was a good O or a bad O so we went on around looked and he asked me how you know if we had kids and all that and um and so we finally concluded the tour and I was about to leave and uh he says well I guess I passed the test. He said, I I hope you get the house. We'd be happy to have you as neighbors. And I said, well, I mean, I'd be happy to be your neighbor as long as you don't mind living next to a preacher. He said, oh, no, I don't mind living next to a preacher as long as you don't mind living next to an atheist. He said, yes, yes. He could see the shock on my face because I didn't know they actually existed in the real world. I've only read about these things. And so he's not in a zoo or, I mean, he's right out there in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Bible Belt. And, uh, and, and, but then he clarified it. He says, yes, yes, I'm a scientist. Therefore, I'm an atheist. As if that, oh, I get it now. You're a scientist. You're a realist. So if you, and so I had to go home and look up the word science because I, I wasn't sure what is, what, what, what is he saying? So I looked up science and science is, is a conclusion based on observation and experimentation. So there's no God because you can't observe him or produce him in a laboratory. Oh, is that so? So I would love to go back now. So, Mr. Scientist, I see how, you know, you're, you're, you're just basing everything that you believe on facts, and that's good. Uh, so go with me back in time to the beginning of everything. Tell me how you uh, 
uh, have proven that all this started. Well, you know, there was a cell and it just began to multiply and, and evolve and then billions of... No, 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 no. I want to go back before, before the cell, before all that, when there was nothing. Now, go ahead. <laughs> Observation and experimentation. Let's start from the beginning. Go, 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 go right ahead. Well, you know, there was nothing, and then there was this explosion. Where did it come from? Well, we don't, we don't really know, um, but it produced matter, and, uh, and then uh, eventually this matter turned from non-living matter into a living cell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Were, were you there? Were you observing that? Somebody else that you know was there? How Did somebody record this? And can you reproduce this in a laboratory and just show us? It? No. So what you're telling me is you've left science because you're telling me there's no God and everything started accidentally. You've left science and you're in my territory now. It's called faith. Now, I wouldn't dare leave religion and go into science because I don't know what I'm talking about. But you're on my turf. And you're going to tell me that with no proof, no observation, no experimentation that you say emphatically to our children in our classrooms around the world that there is no God. And I'm the idiot <laughs> because I believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That makes more sense. I'm embarrassed for them that over all these hundreds of years of modern thinking, they haven't come up with a better scenario than that one. Surely they could have. I think I could have done a better job than that. That it was a big bang for no reason that's never been duplicated. And now we're here. Man, that's faith. And go around acting like you're a realist. And you base all your beliefs on facts and observation. We need to uncover some of these things. Why? Because my friend, I'm not mad at him, but he's going to stand before God. He's going to meet God. The very God that he has uh, refused to acknowledge. And I don't want him to do that without having a conversation or reading a little book. Amen. You know, to get in there and, and to help people in this day and time, you got to get a little dirty, <laughs> not, not in a bad way. But you know what I mean? you got to get into the world and, and, and begin to think like they do and try to meet them on some level. And it's, it's, I'd rather not. I'd rather just teach the Bible in a Bible school. But the people are coming. How many of you believe that? Amen. Jesus uncovered this same principle or principle reiterated it in Luke chapter 11, verse 9. I say to you, ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it'll be opened. This is a spiritual principle, a universal principle, and it'll work for anyone. What's frustrating to me is I know the key is to seek and search God with all of your heart and you'll find him. 
And when they tell our children in elementary school that there isn't a God, that all this, we've got an explanation for everything, they stop that search before it ever starts. And it puts more work on us to get that. I wish they'd just be honest and say, we don't know. There's a lot of science I don't know. I don't care to admit that. Why do they have to get into our area of faith and religion and make things up and act like they're true? It's, it used to be called the theory of evolution, which was more accurate. That's like saying we don't know. They don't admit that anymore. We're going to bring God back into the national consciousness. Number two, all have sinned. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam was the man through whom sin entered the world. Consequently, all have sinned. Sin changed the human race from saints to sinners. So we don't just have a sin problem as far as committing the acts of sin we have a sinner problem we became sinful by nature ephesians 2 3 says among whom we also uh, once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as others not only was our conduct wrong because of sin but our nature was wrong simply put people sin because they are sinners, it's universal. Everyone's in the same boat. There's not better and worse. We're all sinful before God. We have no excuse. And without an intermediary, uh, an intermediary, we're going to have to stand before God and give an account for all of our sins. Every thought, every word, every action. That is a fearful thought. Even for the nicest, best person, nobody wants to do that. Because you'll be found guilty. So, so to, to prove that, you know, this isn't just you and somebody, we're not just singling you out and saying how, how, how terrible you are compared to everyone else. We were all in sin. When you realize that, then, and you have to make that point, and here's why. Because people, by and large, are doing well. They feel pretty good about themselves. They're not in, in, in the market for a Savior. They're not looking for a Savior if they don't know they need to be saved. And so this point has to be made. And again, we have to talk to their heart, not their head, because everybody already has it figured out where they are in the, in the justice scale. I may be bad, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm not near as bad as that guy. I mean, my relatives, you think I'm bad, you should see them. They ain't got a chance. Even in prison, even in prison, I was thinking about this last night. Even in prison, the prisoners will beat and kill the pedophiles because they're worse than me. I may be a murderer, but I ain't a pedophile. You know what I mean? I may, I may have committed a string of crimes and killed people and abused people, but I'm not as bad as that one. Because it's human nature to find out, make sure you're not uh, the worst. And then some people just go all the way and say, I'm the worst of the worst, and they take pride in that. But, but it's all based on works. 
So we have to, we have to take the time to prove to people that, that you need a savior. Even if you've, if you've turned over a new leaf and you're doing better now, you still need a savior. You, you, you are guilty. We are all guilty before God. And that sets them up, uh, sets us up for. Now, I believe things are going to help us. I don't know what's happening in the, in the future. I don't know how the politics, the economy, I don't know any of that. But I do believe that God's going to make our voice more valuable or, or our message resonate again. Amen. Like the lifeguard illustration, if you go to a public pool, 99% of the time, the lifeguard is just annoying. <laughs> they're always blowing the whistle and getting on to you and getting you out of the pool, and they're just annoying. But if you're drowning, all of a sudden, where is that lifeguard anyway? And I hope they're trained <laughs> and well-equipped because I need help. So, so it's just a... Ch- a change of attitude, and I believe society is going to help us do that because we haven't had the ear of the world for a while, but I believe we're going to get it back. And when we do, we got to know what they need to hear. Does that make sense? We, we've got to be ready with, with the material that they need rather than tell them what we like. And there's only one thing the world needs, the non-believer. They need to believe on Jesus. None of the other really applies. So number three, this means a lot. When you realize you're a sinner, Christ Jesus died for your sins. And you know those verses. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He paid the price. And, And you know nobody else could have and I like to say it this way if they could have if somebody else could have paid the price for our sins they probably wouldn't have because it was a big price Jesus was the only one that could and he said yes I'll do it and people can and he suffered and died for things that he did not do and then people act as if God is unjust and cruel and mean and doesn't care and Jesus gave his life and they say how could a good God send anybody to hell listen if you were in the middle of the ocean and you were out there without a boat without a raft with no way to survive and the coast guards came out in the coast guard cutter and said hey I'm John or Juan or whatever I'm here to save you. And you go, I don't, I don't want you to save me. I don't really like you. I don't like what you stand for. There isn't another boat. There's nobody else coming. I'm here to save you. I don't want your salvation. What are we supposed to do? What is God supposed to do when he provided the way at great cost and people say yeah I do want to be saved I just don't want you to do it and then act like God is a mean God God's not sending anybody to hell 
people are doing it themselves. There's only one way to be saved, and it's through Jesus Christ. Number four, you must be born again. And we'll just close with this one. But I love the term. I've studied it. In fact, it's in my book. Uh, we, we open with that, this encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus in the uh, living in stressful times. Nicodemus was so ignorant. He represents a lot of people today. If you read the account, he goes, teacher, we know that you're good. Oh, wow, that's a great conclusion. He's the sinless son of God. And Nicodemus says, we, we think you're a pretty good guy because nobody, and we think you came from God because nobody does the things you do. And Jesus didn't get, I would have gotten so mad. I just said, just go back home. I came out here in the middle of the night to meet with you because you're too scared to meet with me in the daytime. And that's all you got? Just go home. I mean, if you feel like saying that to people today, Here's the problem. Nicodemus was in the dark so far. Not only did he not know the answer, he didn't even know the question. Yeah. And that's where people are. Yeah. So rather than Jesus getting frustrated, he just gave him the answer yeah. to the question he should have asked. Yeah. He should have said, I got one shot at this. You're the son of God. Is there any chance? That a guy like me could ever go to heaven. Jesus would have said, you must be born again. Nicodemus just said, and Jesus said, you must be born again. Let me help you. Let me help you. And that is such a powerful term. I love that terminology because nothing describes what happens when you accept Jesus like being born again. The old person passes away, the sinner that you were. So being born again makes it personal. You accept Jesus and what he did because he did die for the whole world, but it doesn't affect you until you make it personal. Yeah. So you could preach Christ died for the world. The Bible says even the demons believe. Yeah. They believe that, but, but it becomes personal when you say Christ died for me and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And then what happens is not only are you forgiven of your sins, but you, you are born again. The old nature passes away and you become a new creation. This is why changing your conduct is not effective. It doesn't work. And, and if you don't give people this information, they're still thinking in worldly terms, in work. They have a works mentality. We can't help it. And so if you don't make it clear, you, you don't just need to straighten up your act or get delivered from your addictions, you need to be born again. And that will change you from the inside out. You could believe everything I've said, but if you don't get born again, it won't do any good in your life. You must be born again. Then, let me just give you this, Romans 10, 9, the formula, how do you become a Christian? How do you get born again? Two things, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And, and, and it's simple, but it wasn't cheap. It's free, but it wasn't cheap. Simple and easy, but it wasn't easy for him. He paid the price. But those two are, things are absolutely essential. The resurrection 
If Jesus died for our sins and he's still dead, we're still in debt. But if he died for our sins and he's alive, it must have worked. There must have been a payment made and it was accepted and now things are back to normal. He's back where he belongs because he paid the debt. He had what it took to pay the debt and leave the place of, of, of payment and go back to heaven. So it simplifies. Romans 10, 9 simplifies. It. Look, you, obviously, if you believe in the resurrection, you believe he died. And if you believe he died, you believe he came. And if you believe he came, you believe he came from God. So we don't have to go through all that. But you can believe all that. If you just if you bail out at the resurrection, then it's not going to work. So he just makes it simple. If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and you confess him as your Lord with your mouth, you shall be saved. So the whole thing is to lead them to Romans 10, 9. And rather than rush them through it up front, we give them a little bit of understanding. Why is this necessary? And what does this mean? Did you get anything out of that? And I I hesitate to do it, but this is what's in my heart right now. And I I know I'm preaching to the choir, but it's true for you like it's true. I'm not a prophet. I don't know what's coming. I don't know all the ins and outs of politics and economy, but I do know this. The people are coming. I know this. I know that God did tell me that. And when they come, they're going to come from every direction. They're going to be in all sorts of states. And a lot of them are going to be unsaved. Amen. Praise God. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. I know I went a little long, but I came a long way for this. I meant to be done at 11.30, believe it or not. Would you bow your heads with me? I, I don't think it would be right for us to take this entire message and talk about salvation and then not give people an opportunity to be saved if there is someone or many who are here today I don't know everyone and you don't know if you're ready to meet God it's still it's not an an assurance you have and I was that way it used to scare me to think of that little prayer, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take you. That bothered me because I didn't know if I was ready to die, if I was ready to go to heaven or meet God. I I wanted to know. And thank God that was the, I, I fulfilled Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, and 13. I sought God with all my heart. When I was young, all I wanted to know is if I was saved. Nothing else mattered to me. Nothing else was important to me for that time in my life. And I wasn't sure if I could ever know that because I would pray and pray and pray. I'd go to services. I'd watch Christian TV, pray the prayers. And yet I'd go to bed and I was afraid. I was afraid that I wasn't ready. I was afraid that I'm not going to heaven. And I knew one thing, even as a young Methodist boy, I don't want to go to hell. Whatever I have to do. I heard preachers pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And I'd say, no, don't come yet. I don't want you to come right now. I don't know if I'm ready. 
But I can tell you after 40 years of living this way and plus, you can know that you're right with God. You can know you're going to heaven when you die. And until you know that, I, I wouldn't think about or plan or prioritize anything else, anything. If you don't know that, you should make that the only thing on your list. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know I'm right with God. And I'm not going to quit till I get to that point. And if that's you right now, I can help you with the same help that I was helped with. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, you're in this room. Let's just be honest for a moment. I've tried to be brutally honest this whole service. We're talking about real life issues, eternal issues. If you're standing in this room and you hear my voice, you don't know that you're ready to go to heaven, that you're ready to die, that you're ready to meet God, then you'd like to have that assurance. It doesn't matter where you've come from, how faithful you've been or unfaithful. It makes no difference how you got in this room. If you're a human being, you can know that you're right with God today. If you don't know that, would you lift your hand and say, please pray for me. I want that assurance. I just don't know. You don't know what all I've done. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus knows, and if you want to be saved, he wants to save you today. If that's you, would you lift your hand and say, I need that assurance. I don't want to live another day in doubt. I don't want to live another day in fear, dreading what's coming. I'd love to live my life free from that condemnation and that fear and dread. You don't have to live under that burden. You don't have to live under that weight you can be as happy and free as a little child. Even in this culture today, you can be free from, from the guilt and shame of the past. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Let me see it. Lift your hand. Lift your hand. All right. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. 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 I'm just practicing. I'm practicing because the people are coming. And when they come, we're going to be ready for them. We got a path for them to walk. We're going to get them saved. We're going to get them filled with the Holy Ghost. We're going to teach them about their redemption and teach them how to believe God and show them how to grow up spiritually. We're ready. Praise God. We got video, audio, print. We, we got podcasts and, and YouTubes. and Man, we, never before has the church had more weapons ready to reach people and uh, thank God I don't know the Lord's helped me to have to wrap my head around all that and and boy we've got some material. now we're not the only one obviously but I just felt such a responsibility to be faithful a faithful steward with the things God's given me and 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 everybody has the obligation to do the same thing in their own life praise God thank you Island Church Father, bless this church. Thank you for what they've meant to me. I thank you for the partners and the givers that have come through this church that have connected with our ministry. I see some of you right now. If you're a partner or a donor to our ministry outside the church here, please let me know who you are. I know names. I don't always know faces. But I love to thank you and see you in person because without you, I couldn't do what I'm doing. And I appreciate it so much. Lord, bless them, keep them, cause us all to be fruitful in the days to come. 
as we fulfill your will in our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.